Amen. Uh, I don't usually do this, but, and he hates that I do it, but I gotta give Matt a shout out because he was the guy who crafted that video and I absolutely love it for the share. If you're friends with a production guy, that's the last thing you're supposed to do. So if you're, I'm, I need a new friend in 2022 if you're interested, guys. Uh, <laughs> no, I love Matt. Uh, we, we are stepping into a new series for the month of November. Uh, and if you're brand new to Northlands, a special welcome to you. My name is Tyler, uh, one of the pastors here, and would love the opportunity to meet you. If you have time, we'll be in the front lobby afterwards. Uh, we'd love to just hear your story, what brings you through our doors. Um, but we, we are starting a brand new series, so you've come at just the right time. We were right at the beginning of the conversation, and we're calling it Love One. If you were with us uh, early in the, in the year, you might recall that we had a series that we called Just One. And it was more than just a series. We said, this is a, a campaign for us that we're gonna be uh, laying before this community for the foreseeable future because we wanna talk about the work of an evangelist. So what we said is, we, you know, just like the saying goes, a thousand mile journey begins with a single step. What we wanted to do is take the, the great commission, the big commission of Jesus to all those who are Jesus followers to say, uh, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations. But what's the first step of that? We said, would you consider, especially if you're a member here at Northlands Church, would you consider just one neighbor? Who's one person in your life that God is putting there so that you might minister to, serve alongside, love well, do life with, and preach the gospel to? Can you consider one of your neighbors? And so that's what we wanted to do, not just for, for this year, but really uh, in the years ahead, Paul says, do the work of an evangelist. That's a call for all believers to preach the gospel. And so this series, Love One, is in conjunction with that campaign. And what we wanna say is that love, it is the very beginning, the threshold of preaching the gospel. That, that is the call that Jesus has. Of, if you're going to preach the gospel, you must preach it with love. And so we wanna talk about that for the month of November. I think it's, it's fitting as we're stepping into the holiday season, Thanksgiving. I don't even wanna ask because I'll see hands raised. Who's already putting up their, their Christmas tree? Yeah. Don't, we'll shame you. Don't do it yet. Don't, 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 don't. don't. <laughs> even the day after Thanksgiving, I, I think it's like, I'm like, um, you know, whatever. We're stepping into the holiday season. And what that means is we're gonna be surrounded by friends and families and extended friends and families, people that we'll be gathering and partying with and connecting with. This is a prime opportunity for you to once again consider, Lord, who have you put in my life to minister to and to love well? And so that, that's really, a, this is a commissioning month. Preach the gospel. And as I said, you cannot preach the gospel without love. The gospel without love is not the gospel. You cannot preach the word of God without the heart of God. You can't claim to preach the truth of God's word without knowing his tone. He said, I am Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate one, slow to anger and abounding in love. This is the call of Jesus, that if you're gonna preach this gospel, let the first step that you make towards your neighbor and to your brother, a step of love. And so we wanna talk about what that looks like practically. To answer this question for, for today as we're laying out the groundwork for this series is how do we love through the gospel? And so that's where I wanna go. I wanna talk about really, uh, just to, to start, we'll get into Luke chapter 10, which is where we're going. If you have your Bibles, you can start getting that ready. But, but what we're gonna be doing is we're gonna be looking at two major tension points that I see that, that kind of prevent us or, or cause us to pause when it comes to preaching the gospel through love. I wanna talk about a tension around love that I wanna highlight for a moment, and then I wanna talk about a tension around truth. And if you're here today and you're, you're not a Jesus follower, I want you to know I'm, I'm preaching to you, not just the church folk. Not just saying, hey, we're called to preach the gospel and to love people well. And you're saying, well, I don't believe the gospel. I don't believe in Jesus. I want you to know, I want you to consider these things around love and truth as well for your life. The first one is this, uh, attention of love. Let's talk about that for a moment. I, I don't know if you saw this. It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating to me. 
A couple years back, Ellen DeGeneres is invited, or DeGeneres is invited with um, her wife Portia to a Cowboys-Packers football game by none other than Jerry Jones, the, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. The irony is Ellen's like, I'm actually a Packers fan. Uh, so she had to like take her cheese head and stick it in her wife's purse uh, and just to be like, I'm, I'm actually rooting for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, but, but so she goes to this game and she's in Jerry, uh, Jerry Jones' suite at the football game. And, and you can imagine great seats, great view. But on top of that, there's some famous folk in there. And Ellen is sitting next to none other than George W. Bush and his wife, Laura. This is awesome. We've got, we've got an ultra-liberal talk show host and her wife and an ultra-Republican president. I'm excited to see what happens. It's going to be an exciting time. But you know what's hilarious? They're actually friends. And so the, the media captures them, and they're joking around. They're taking selfies. They're, they're throwing popcorn at the people below, the common folk. You don't have Jerry Jones seats. And they're, they're just having, they're just having a, a good time. And this is what's fascinating to me. Not that they're friends. What's fascinating to me is what happened the next day. Twitter blows up. And it's not, it's not just Ellen's fan base who, who's bashing George Bush, which they might be usually prone to of going, hey, he's different from us. He's a different political view, different convictions, different beliefs. They start shaming Ellen for being friends with George W. Bush. Her own fans are turning on her and going, how could you, he is everything that we are against, everything that you preach and everything that you say we should be doing in our lives. He's the exact polar opposite of that. And so they, she, she gets this kind of shame mail. And so she gets on her show midweek of the next week and says, hey, I've always said that we're to love people and walk in kindness, and that includes people who are different from us. It doesn't stop there, though. People started coming out with blogs to explain, well, this is why you can't be friends with people who who think different from you. If they actually love you, uh, then then they have to love your convictions, too. And if they're against you, then they're they're against you in in entirety. And so people started writing blogs about how you cannot love people uh, without affirming them. And the tension that I want to bring to us is not one that's just in our culture. This cultural lie that love and affirmation are one and the same has seeped in not just into our culture's heart, but also into some of the church. It's fascinating to me, and this is not a a new thing. I would say it's emphasized in the last 10 years, but this is not a new thing that's happened. This is in the time of Jesus as well. And I'll show you in scriptures where Jesus is also uh, brought to bear by the Pharisees in his time about this very thing. But what's fascinating to me is culture believes this lie that love and affirmation are one and the same, but the church also believes it. It just believes it in a totally opposite expression. So, so what I mean by that is culture would say this. If you were here today and you're not a Jesus follower, I want to, I want to address the culture for a moment. I want to address you. You're saying, I'm not a Jesus follower. I'm, I don't believe in God. This is what I would say about our culture that is dangerous. And I, I just think it's crazy. That is that culture believes that to affirm is to love. To affirm is to love. In other words, culture right now is saying, we are going to call for peace. We are going to call for love. And what we mean by that, we are going to love everyone. And the way in which we're going to love everyone is to affirm everything. And that's crazy. My own mother loves me. She doesn't affirm everything. Mom, if you're watching, I know you love this delicious boy up here. I also know she calls me delicious. I don't know if anybody, moms, man, sometimes weird. Okay, so, so Jenny can say, we're not just gonna do church. Like I'm being authentic up here, people. This is what happens when Jenny says that it's okay. I'm talking about me. No, so, so, so we know this to be true. Essentially, if, you're affir- if your proof of love is affirmation of everything and everyone, what you're saying is, is that everybody's perfect. That there's no, there's no reason for conflict, that let everybody live their truth. Their truth isn't hurting anybody. Essentially, you're saying you're perfect just the way you are. And why that's a beautiful sentiment on Disney. It is simply not true. 18, I love 18 year old Tyler, a delicious boy, some would say. 
was an idiot, an absolute idiot in a thousand different ways because he was young and foolish and zealous and all these things. And what happened? He grew up. How did he grow up? Because people came to him, not affirming him for everything, but said, hey, we love you enough to be honest with you. That's crazy, Tyler, what you're believing there, change. And so this idea that affirmation and love go hand in hand is a lie that our culture is buying into, but I would argue the church is buying into it just in a different way. What the church would say is, is the opposite of that. To love is to affirm. In other words, the church would say, if I love someone, am I licensing what they're doing? If I show somebody support who's different from me, if I, if I invite them over to dinner, is that me condoning their behavior? And so what ends up uh, oftentimes happening is this kind of paralysis by analysis. Is this the right thing that we should be doing? Instead of acting in compassion and stepping forward in compassion, before we move in compassion, is it, should we be hanging out with this person? Don't act like y'all don't do it. I'm about to tell a story about how I did it. So don't, but don't act like your hands are clean here. I remember at uh, high school, I was 15, 16 years old, uh, was in a youth group uh, leading the worship team. Um, and some of you are like, Tyler, I had no idea you're musical. I'm not. Uh, that's how small the town was and how bad the worship was. Now, and like, God says, make a joyful noise. He never said he had to like it, okay? In my experience, it wasn't the case. And so, so I'm leading the worship team and, and on this team, it's, it's high school and college students. And it just, it just a, an, we saw some amazing things. The Lord do some amazing things. Um, I, I remember though, I had a friend who was on the worship team. She was about 19, uh, early 20s. Um, funny, made people laugh, just, just an amazing, kind person. And one day she comes to a leaders meeting where we're planning out kind of what's the plan for the next few months in the youth group. And she just, someone who's happy and funny, just distraught. And so finally she goes, she goes hey, uh, I gotta tell you, um, my, my mom sat me down this week and said I was, I was actually born intersex. And so if you're not familiar with the term, it's essentially, a, 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 it's an anomaly in many ways, a very small percentage, but individuals who are born with both a female and male reproductive organ. And so in that case, the doctor pretty much puts it on the parents and says, uh, do you want, is this a boy or a girl? And so her, her mom and dad at the time, who dad's not in the scene at this, at this moment, 20 years later, her mom says, uh, make her a girl. And so she comes and she comes to us and she says, uh, this is what my mom just told me after almost two decades. And I have always felt uh, like I was out of, I was in the wrong body. I always struggled with my gender. I always felt uh, more masculine than I ought to be. I, I believe I was called to be born a boy. And so, so she tells us this, and this is, what ha this is the paralysis by analysis that I'm talking about. So immediately, me, 15, 16 year old, don't know what intersex is, trying to figure all this kind of stuff out. And us as a leadership team start asking questions. Is she allowed to do that? Is she now a he? What's the Bible say about these things? Is this something that we should be addressing with the youth group? Is this something that we should talk about with the leadership team? We start asking all of these questions. What's the right thing to do? What would, what would God want us to do in this? What, what, we don't want to offend God. You know what the one question that I didn't ask to my shame? And the only thing I can say is by, by the grace of God, I was 15 and I've, I've grown up. The one question that I didn't ask my friend was going, hey, your mom just dropped an A-bomb on you. How are you doing? How hard is that? And what I, what, I, what I struggle with is even now as we're talking about this, you're going, well, I don't know, what, what should we do in that situation? Instead of going, is, is she okay? Yeah. Is he okay? 
And so, so what I see on a continual basis is God so loved the world, showed compassion that he sent his son, the gospel. But what we're so busy doing is trying to analyze what is truth, how should we do this, that we forget to be human beings. And so when we talk about preaching the gospel to our neighbors, the first thing that we've got to recognize is there's this thing of embracing our humanity, that God was both 100% God, 100% the divine, and he was also 100% man, never sinning, and at the same time showing his humanity on a continual basis. And, and so, so there's this thing that comes into play where we're going, uh, I don't know what to do with this tension. How do I love well? I don't know if you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, but are you afraid to be honest with somebody and in, in a sense unaffirming because you feel like it's unloving? We gotta resolve that tension. But maybe you connect with my story and you're a Christian here today and maybe, maybe you have your stories. I don't know what they might be. They might be uh, perhaps your, your child uh, doing drugs, stealing from you, lying. And so you set a loving boundary to say, hey, if you're gonna live like that, you can't live in my home. But then now you're going, do I invite them to, th do I invite them to Thanksgiving? Is there still a relationship for me to have with them, to love them? Perhaps you've had friends, whether, whether uh, the, you know, your friend was unfaithful to his wife or he's gonna leave her, or she leaves him and they're both in pain. And you go, well, God hates divorce. He does, but have you considered, I need to make them some meals, sit with them in the pain of this? Perhaps you have a child or, or a grandchild or a friend and they've come out to you about their gender, their sexuality. Perhaps they've come to you and they say, hey, I'm gonna be changing my religion. Dare I say in 2021, perhaps they come to you and they say, I'm thinking about changing my political affiliation with the family party. <laughs> now you've gone too far. <laughs> Are you asking the question, do we disown? Do, do I still love them? Since when did love and affirmation of the things that we disagree with, since when are they the same thing? We buy into the same lie, but we just express it differently. God so loved the world with compassion that he sent the truth of the gospel. So that's, that's the truth intention. And Jesus was slammed for this. Jesus, Luke chapter seven, verse 34, the Pharisees look at Jesus, they go, there's Jesus, the friend of drunkards and gluttons and tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. And it was their way of saying, he's a friend of them. He must be affirming them. He must be living like that. Is love and affirmation the same thing? Affirmation is not evidence that you love someone. And love is not evidence that you are affirming someone's lifestyle that's different from your conviction. It's called compassion. Let's talk about attention of truth. The tension of truth that I see, again, a, a similar lie that just, that just provokes the culture and the church in different ways. This lie that to tell the truth is to be unkind. To tell the truth is to be unkind. And, and what culture would say, again, if you're not a Jesus follower, here's what I would say, what the culture is telling you, that if you tell the truth to somebody, you're rejecting them. And that's just not true. Some of my best and closest friends are the ones who are most honest with me. They go, Tyler, we affirm you as a father. We affirm you as a husband. We affirm you as a friend, but you got massive spinach in your teeth. You gotta do something about that, bro. I, I, they love me through it. They're not unkind with the truth. They go, man, we'll get you some floss. We'll get you some toothpicks. We'll, take, we'll pay for the dentist. Whatever you need to do, but get rid of the garden. And so, and so this idea that to tell the truth to somebody is that you're rejecting them is just not true. The truth is not unkind. The truth is the most kind thing. It is the truth that sets people free. Yeah. And, so, and so again, if, if I could just, if I like... 
the, the truth as it works itself out in the church is this, that we would say, but if I tell them the truth, not I'm rejecting them, but they'll reject me. And the Bible says, yes, many will. Luke chapter 10, verse 16. If they reject you, that's because they're rejecting Jesus. And at the same time, truth is healing. Rejection is a byproduct of fear, not of truth. People aren't truthful with people because they're afraid of the results of what's going to happen. Rejection is not a fruit that gets produced because you told the truth. It's because people are living in fear of facing that truth. I had a friend who, um, he, uh, I met him in college. We were doing art courses. So we were just kind of on this, this track of, of the same courses together. And as we're connecting and as we're hanging out, as we're, we're friends with one another, uh, he, he, he tells me, I go, I ask him, I go, hey, so what do you do for, for work? And he goes, oh, every weekend I go to New York. I buy a massive bag of weed, like a lot of weed. And I come back to North Carolina and I sell it at a price. And business is booming. I go, and here I thought you were just shiny eyed and passionate about art. It turns out they're shiny eyes. Bro, don't get high on your supply. What are you doing? Even, I, even the homeschooler knows not to do that. Like what's, we didn't have weed in high school where I came from. It was not tolerated. Here's the challenge that I find is that I hear that my friend's a drug dealer and I go into this mode of going, okay, well, I, I want him to see the gospel in my life so I don't preach to him. I don't tell him the gospel. I just go, man, let him see it on my life. Maybe he'll ask me a question about this, uh, but, but, but I'm not gonna actually say it. I just want him to, to know that I love him regardless anyway. And I, I, uh, this, it's not even a quote that's accurate. Like he didn't say it. Francis of Assisi's people say, preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words. There's like a bunch of stuff of why he didn't say that. It didn't actually come to that phrase. Can I just tell you, sometimes it's necessary to preach the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> I hope they speak to me in like a hundred years time. They'd be like, Tyler once said, my friend absolutely needed a friend but you know what he needed more than Tyler, his friend? He needed Jesus, his savior. He needed someone to rescue. Amen. It is not kind to withhold the gospel because you're concerned, if, well, will they reject me? Will they misunderstand? Some will misunderstand. And yet the very thing that people need is Christ and him crucified. Some of us show, yeah, amen. Some of us show an incredible amount of compassion. You're phenomenal at showing service and compassion. You're going, well, Tyler, I, I'm just, I'm not preaching the gospel. It doesn't come up organically for me. I'm a, the atoning blood of Jesus and the cross of Jesus crucified does not come up organically in a conversation. You got to work that thing in. And so at some, I mean, at some point you have to preach the gospel. So I, I got to get into the Bible because so far it's just been good opinions. Um, which tension are you dealing with? Is this your tension? Is it a tension around love? I'm hoping to resolve these two things. I want us to get into Luke chapter 10 to resolve these two tensions because in order for us to love one, to preach the gospel, we must resolve these two tensions. That love and affirmation are two separate things and that the truth is the most kind thing that you can give to the world around you. So Luke chapter 10, as you're turning there, uh, just to, to reiterate the point, you cannot claim to serve and love God without showing compassion to everyone. And at the same time, you cannot claim to love people without preaching Christ and him crucified. And that's why I want us to be in Luke chapter 10. Uh, we'll start in verse 25. If you're familiar with this, and I would honestly say the church and culture are very familiar with this. This is the account of the good Samaritan. 
Uh, many people, would, they use it as a compliment. We kind of have an idea of what the parable is about. Oh, that person's a good Samaritan. What we mean by that is he's very kind and loving to strangers. And so I wanna just read the account in Luke chapter 10. Uh, and then I want us to do some work on the parable. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Uh, here, here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna read the parable and then I wanna talk about what it's not for a moment because it's, it's important because it's so culturally known, it can be taken out of context. Let's read it together and it'll come up on the screen if you don't have your Bible. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. That's important, to put him to the test, Jesus, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. You'll have eternal life. The lawyer, but he desiring to justify himself, that's important, and said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus replied with what we know as the parable of the good Samaritan. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he had came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side as well. But a Samaritan, um, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion on this man. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Then Jesus asked the lawyer after telling him this story, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the, to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now, now here's what I wanna just quickly talk about what this parable is not, because the parable has been taken out of, out of context so many times by our culture uh, that we zoom in and we read into the parable and what we need to be reading into is not the parable, but the conversation that Jesus is having with this lawyer. That's the reason why he said the parable to begin with. So if you miss the conversation, you're going to miss the parable. This parable is not, and I've seen people use it, it's not a, a call for social justice or a case for socialism or even Marxism. It's not a call for a racial reconciliation, which we use, well, there's a Samaritan and a Jew and they're racially charged against one another. It's not about that either. People read deeply into the parable and go, it's an allegory because the inn represents heaven and Jericho is hell and Jerusalem is the church and all. It's not that either. And so what ends up happening is people will pull this parable when they want to push on their initiative, when they want to either condemn an initiative they disagree with or justify their own work. And so the point I would just want to say is what's the point that Jesus is trying to make? That's what we need to answer if we're going to resolve these two texts. So let's, let's just look at it for a moment. So Jesus is talking with a lawyer. He's teaching and a lawyer stands up, which in that day and time was a sign of respect. But then it says that he stood up to test Jesus, which is a sign of disrespect. So right away, what we have to know is there's a conversation happening and then there's a conversation happening. So a question is being asked, how do I receive eternal life? Jesus goes, oh, I'll answer that question, but we're gonna have the other conversation that you actually wanna have. Hus husbands, know when your wife texts you, hey, what time are you going to be home today? Does she care if you're gonna be home at 5.30 or 6.30? Or is she like, I will punt one of your offspring if you don't get home immediately. 
Dare I say that's the conversation that's being had here. I don't want to be mean to the wives. Wives, when your husband comes home a little broody and glum and you go, baby, what's wrong? What's wrong? I made Salisbury steaks. Come on, what's wrong? And he goes, I'm fine. Is he fine? No, there's a conversation underneath the conversation. So when we read this, what we have to go is there's a dripping sarcasm and disrespect. So Jesus goes, oh, I'll answer the questions that you're asking in front of everybody, but you and I are also gonna have the conversation that you really wanna have. That's what's happening. So the man asked Jesus, how do I receive eternal life? This is a question that was asked by Jesus all the time. I think about 19 or 20 times Jesus was asked, how do I enter the kingdom? How do I enter eternal life? And Jesus gave two different answers depending on who his just one is whoever was in front of him. When Jesus had people who were sinners and they came to him and everybody's a sinner, but those who realized they were sinful, those who came and said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who said, how do we find salvation? And we're asking that question solely. This guy asked the right question to the right person, but with the wrong heart. And so when Jesus hears the right question to him of how do I save my soul? He goes, very simple, straight answer. Believe in me. That's the answer. That should be the end of the conversation. And that's not where it stops because Jesus addresses a second person, those with self-righteousness who want to justify themselves and talk about why they don't need a savior, why they affirm themselves and say, I'm perfect just the way I am. Jesus goes, I have an answer for you as well, but it's not a straight answer. So Jesus goes, we're gonna have a conversation and I'm gonna tell you how to get to eternal life while simultaneously I'm gonna crush that self-righteousness in you. Because the good news, without recognizing that there's bad news, you're not gonna see the good news. So the bad news is that we are all sinners, all have died, all are not righteous, there's not one good, no, not one. And if you don't recognize that bad news and come to Jesus and saying, Lord, tell me about the good news, he'll go, I will absolutely get to the good news. But we need to address something first. And so he asks, how do I receive eternal life? And the way that you get a self-righteous person who's smug and egotistical, you just get them talking about themselves. Well, you're the expert of the law, what does the law say? I hear you know something about that. And so this guy's a lawyer, not just of common law, but of, of, of a law, the law of God. So he's a lawyer and a theologian. And he goes, I'm gonna justify myself in this. And so, so Jesus goes, what does the law say? How do you read it? He snaps back. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus just goes, doesn't sound like you need a savior. You got it. That's the right answer. Do that and you'll live. But this underbedding conversation that's having both of these men know, and even the people that are listening now know, you can't do that perfectly, no. Knowing the right answer and doing the right thing are two very separate things. And so Jesus goes to him, he goes, well, didn't do that. The guy will not relent. He goes, no, 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 no. Wanting to justify himself, he goes, Jesus, just so I'm clear, which is fascinating. So in other words, he infers, I do love God with everything and perfectly because I'm a lawyer and I'm a theologian. But tell me about this loving my neighbor. Thing. He doesn't talk about loving God perfectly. He just goes, oh, I got that. But just so we're on the same page and who is my neighbor? And so Jesus, and this is why it's important to understand the parable. Jesus is not telling him the parable to answer that question. Jesus has another question that he wants to pose to the man after he tells the parable. And so we have to recognize what that is. Jesus goes, he goes, so tell me who is my neighbor? And so he goes, there was a man. He was traveling down the road, beaten by robbers. Two other men pass him, a priest and a Levite, people who knew the law, knew exactly what to do. And yet they didn't do it. Fascinating. Then a Samaritan comes, who's a pagan, who doesn't know the law. 
To be a Samaritan in that culture was, it was the biggest insult. People said, Jesus, you must be a Samaritan, demon-possessed. Being demon-possessed and a Samaritan was like one and the same, apparently. So a Samaritan who doesn't know the law comes and he feels great compassion on this man. And so it talks about his lavish compassion. At what point did a Samaritan have the right to say, that's enough, I'm done? When he found a man and he bandaged up his wounds and disinfected the wounds, could he walk away and go, you know what? That is more than that man deserves from me. Would that have been compassion, technically? That's a, that's a bit of compassion. When he put him on the animal and walks him to the inn and says, you know what, let the innkeeper take care of you, that's more than anybody else gave you today. That's compassion. He doesn't stop there. He, he's with him the entire night because it says that the next day, so he's feeding him, he's giving him water, he's taking care of this man over and over and over throughout the night, hour upon hour, and then the next day he goes to the innkeeper and he says, here's two denarii. That currency in that time, they believe, was about two months' rent. And so then he, he goes to the, which you don't give an innkeeper or a hotel your credit card and say, whatever the guy needs. That's crazy. That's just inviting extortion. Like just going, hey, just whatever he needs. And the guy's like, well, I think he needs like a seaweed, like kale salad situation on his face and cucumbers. He goes, no, no, whatever this guy needs, whatever this guy needs, you give it to him and I'll pay you back when I get back. Lavish compassion. In other words, Jesus is going, you want to know what love is. It's not knowing what is right. It's doing what is right. And you know what doing is what is right in the standard of God? It is loving with lavish compassion again and again and again, perfectly, always, without fail for everyone. It's easy to affirm everyone. Can you try and be compassionate to everyone? That's a whole other thing. And so Jesus says to him, he's now, he's bringing the guy to the big question. He's not telling him a parable because he wants to know, well, who is my neighbor? The guy knows who his neighbor is. And Jesus goes, a Samaritan and a Jew. Not talking about racial reconciliation. His point is to say, I count these two as neighbors. So if you fall anywhere in the spectrum between a Samaritan and a Jew, those are your neighbors. But Jesus isn't answering or interested in answering, uh, who, do you know who the neighbor is? He's going, you know who the neighbor is. What do you do with that neighbor? So Jesus' question for him at the end that he doesn't say, but he brings it with a statement. Jesus goes, now let me ask you, who is the neighbor to this man? The Samaritan goes, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus puts the nail in the coffin for this guy's self-righteousness. Now go and do likewise. In other words, Jesus is asking the same question of you as he's asking me and this lawyer. Wait a minute, do you think you're a good neighbor? And it should leave us as we read that parable. Well, who can love like that, Jesus? And Jesus would probably go, this guy. The whole point of the parable is not just who is your neighbor to answer that question as we, as we often tell. The point is to say, this is what love is, a lavish kind of compassion that you pour out at all time perfectly, at all times with every single person. And it should leave you going, well, who can love like that? And this is why you cannot just claim to have compassion alone. Jesus said, if you give a cup of water, compassion in my name, that's what God affirms and award, rewards. That love without the gospel of Jesus, it is impossible. And Jesus said the law and love are the same. What is the law? Sum it all up. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You wanna know what the law is? You wanna know when you're, when you're meditating, what should I do in this situation? You should love. How should I love? Over and extravagantly, above and beyond for every single person that you come in contact with. Well, who can love like it? Nobody except for Christ himself or those who are filled with the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised him from the dead. This is the gospel. 
And so I, I, I wanna close with just a very quick, how do we become good neighbors? The whole point of November is to commission us to love our neighbors well. And what we have just seen without the gospel in one hand and love and compassion that's lavished and perfect in the other, we will not succeed in this. You must have both because one without the other fails in both. The gospel without love is not the gospel, but love without the gospel as its centerpiece, that's not love at all. That was the point of the parable. So, so what I wanna do is I wanna just give us two points. How do we overcome this tension of love and how do we overcome this tension of truth that I, I laid before us in the beginning? Number one, overcoming the tension of love by embracing our humanity. By embracing our humanity. That compassion is the default setting. It should be muscle memory for us. It does not require us to think, it is a requirement for us to act. That love, Jesus said, give a cup of water in my name, compassion first. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Doesn't require you to think, just do. Embrace your humanity. Jesus was 100% God and at the same time he was 100% human and he never rejected one. In other words, Jesus embraced fully his humanity in being kind to people without in one point giving an ounce of his holiness away. He both embraced his, his humanity while simultaneously embracing his holiness. You are able to love with no bounds and it doesn't mean you have to sacrifice and affirm with no bounds. Compassion is what's boundaryless. Uh, affirmation, there are boundaries for it. Jesus, it's fast, Jesus wept. He was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew he was gonna raise this man from the dead and Jesus wept. Even though he knew death isn't going to end here. Why? Because he was human and people were mourning and he decided to comfort and be with them. Jesus showed anger in the temple, ties up a leather whip and starts beating the very people out of the temple that he had come to save, somehow doing this without sin. I've tried to rack my brain around it. I still don't have the answer. I'll get back to you guys. How does he pull that off? Jesus in great sorrow in the garden of Gethsemane coming for the very purpose that he had come to do to die on the cross for our sins at the very eve of his purpose being fulfilled. He is greatly sorrowed to the point of sweating blood. Why? Because he's human. Can you give yourself permission to be human? Because God does. Humanity was something that God created and God designed. And absolutely, when the fall of Genesis 3 happened, we absolutely became without hope and without God and our humanity was tainted. But because of the cross of Christ, we are human in the best possible way. Be human. Let, let your emotion and love for people draw you to action for them. In other words, Jesus answered the lawyer very plainly. What does the law require to you? When you're in that situation, perhaps like you were, when I told my story of my friend in high school on the worship team, I, I was processing, what does the Bible want me to do here? The Bible is made plain. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So instead of going, how many verses do I have to memorize before I get the answer of what I should do here? Rather asking this question, what does love require of you? What does love require of you in this situation? Do that. Micah 4 makes it very plain. What does God require of you, O oh man? To do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly. This is what honors and pleases God. So the question to ask to help us resolve this tension when we're in that situation, what does love require of us? To love lavishly like the good Samaritan. And the only way that you can do that is to be infilled by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. 
in Jesus Christ. Let's talk about overcoming this truth intention and we'll close it out. If we're gonna overcome this truth intention, in other words, this idea that the truth is somehow unkind, what we have to do is we have to declare the truth like it's actually good news because it is. You know how easy good news is to declare when it's the truth? It's very easy. Somehow we believe the lie that in order to declare the truth, because telling the truth is unkind, we've, we've bought into that lie again as a church and we go, if I'm gonna say the truth faithfully, I have to be unkind when I do it. I'm just confronting them with the truth. No, you're being a jackwad. You're being unkind. Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate one, slow to anger and abounding in love. This is his story of salvation, not yours. You need to tell that love story like it's him reading it. That's how we preach the gospel. People are in pain and we have to tell ourselves again and again and again that the truth is healing. Do not believe the lie that truth is unkind. Deliver the gospel as if you're the one who's sitting on the other side of the table. Fascinating to me, absolutely fascinating to me that we will write off our issues of sin so quickly. Well, Tyler, if, if God knew the whole story, he would know that I had to tell that lie. If God, if God knew my story, he knows that I would have, I would, you know, I should have done it this way. We, we give ourselves a, so much grace and love and yet the Bible says, love your neighbor like that. I need to tell you, if you're here today and you are not a Jesus follower, do not be like that lawyer, self-righteous. Do not be that, well, Tyler, I do enough good. I do plenty of good things. I promise you there are a bunch of victims behind you in your wake that would not write you off that easy. We have been made victims of our sin, but at the same time, we have made victims in our sin. And so it is the right and good thing that God would judge a man for his action because to not show judgment to sinners would be to be unloving and unkind to those that we have made victims of. This is why there must be judgment because we have all sinned, we've all fallen short. And before you write yourself off and say, no, I'm a good person. I want you to know there are people that would be in your past and in your wake who would say, not so fast, what you did really hurt me. We have all sinned, we have all fallen short. And so the good news of the gospel is that Jesus's blood covers the sin that we have made. That's the gospel. That the blood of Jesus covers not just the sins that have been put against you, but it covers the sins that you've put on other people. The gospel is the cure for all pain. Tell people how the gospel has cured and healed your pain. Be a witness. That's what you do. I am not ashamed of the gospel because I know that it is the salvation for everyone who would believe. And if we're going to love one, if we're gonna love our community, it will require us to show great lavish compassion and simultaneously preaching this gospel that sets people free. What does love require of you? The gospel starts here. If you're going to preach this message of truth, it will require you to pour out more lavish love than you could possibly imagine and then some. And the only way that you can do that is through Jesus. If you are here today and you are not a Jesus follower, do not leave here without talking to me, talking to the leaders in the front lobby. Because if you were to die today, I am telling you, you would stand before God and you have to give an account for your actions. And I'm telling you, do not affirm yourself like this self-righteous lawyer. You are not good enough. And you are talking to an A-type personality who will continually buck against the system and try his very best to do things perfectly. And I promise you, you will fail just like me and anybody else who tries. 
Today, you must come to Jesus and you must ask with sincerity, Jesus, how do I find eternal life? And there is only one way, and that is through the cross of Christ. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know your story. I don't know where you are right now with Jesus, but I just know that you need to make it right with Jesus. And the way that you make it right is not by your works. Somebody needs to hear this. Your, righteous work, your righteousness was not gained by you. And so therefore you're not gonna lose it by hanging out with the wrong people. And in the same way, your, your goodness, your salvation was not from your good works. And therefore your good works towards your neighbor is not gonna be enough and it's not gonna be enough for you. Do not try and earn your way to God's affections. The only way that you receive this salvation from Jesus is to receive him as the ultimate good news. And so if you're here today, I want you to be bold enough to raise your hand where you are and I wanna know if you wanna receive Jesus for the first time. And if you're watching from home, this is absolutely for you as well. Do not leave this moment without connecting with Jesus, your Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, I thank you for today. I thank you for the words that you preached. I thank you for uh, Jesus' heart for humanity. Lord, I pray for our community and our church that we would love like this, that we have been greatly loved. So show us how to greatly love the world around us. And Lord, let us walk boldly with the truth of God's word. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel because we know that the gospel, the truth, is the most kind message this world has ever seen. It is salvation for all men. So we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name.